Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We've all heard of the Midas Touch, right? And uh, gold as an investment. I don't know if you guys invest in this, but I can remember back in the day, my dad, because he was of that era of World War II, he bought gold coins and hid them in the wall in our house in Los Angeles um, because he always wondered and worried about you know, whether the Nazis were going to come walking down Sunset Boulevard in jackboots. You know, for anybody who grew up in that era, they they were scarred in a way mentally thinking to themselves, you know, we've seen it happen. It could ostensibly happen again. Uh, thank goodness it never did. <laughs> it hasn't up until now. And then he eventually said, okay, you guys can have the gold coins. But gold is an interesting investment and we're so thrilled to join today on Everyone Talks to Liz by a guy who is the lead, most knowledgeable guy on gold trading and investment. He is my friend, George Giro, Managing Director at RBC Wealth Management. So great to have you, George. Thank you so much for having me. I have to tell you that, yes, gold has saved my life, literally, because when we came out of Hungary in at the end of 1945, after what we called the liberation, it was gold coins that got us through different checkpoints at the borders in order to get out of Hungary. And we wound up eventually in Switzerland. And then from Switzerland, of course, uh, we went to Portugal where my father was uh, a banker. And uh, gold has always played an important role in my life. This is fascinating to me because I always thought my dad was a little, hmm, okay, dad, come on. But I also had an old co-anchor named Bob Sellers at, when I was at CNBC and then he came to Fox. Bob told me his grandfather and father kept gold hidden because they too were of that era, not Jewish like you, George, and I, but it's just fascinating. Um, but I want to I bring it to today. And of course, when I say today, I mean current times. You know, the month of October getting off to quite a volatile bang uh, with stocks because, you know, October is known historically as the most volatile month for stocks. Not necessarily the worst, even though the crash of 1929 and 1987 happened both in October. It's not known as the worst month, but it is known as the most volatile month. And gold has resurged as this incredible opportunity for so-called flight to quality. Why do people see gold, which really doesn't do much? Well, it does and it doesn't. Gold's had a 5,000-year history of being a safe haven investment. But in the meantime, a lot of others have discovered gold that give it tremendous volatility. And gold is a most misunderstood investment for the long run Gold is really a haven because 
the price of gold, while it does fluctuate within boundaries very much, is necessarily the only thing that has withstood the time of being a haven for those who see inflation, uh, lack of uh, currency liquidity, Mm -hmm. or securities liquidity. And so gold has been a store of value for 5,000 years. I remember when gold was uh, $300 an ounce. I certainly remember that too. And I remember trading the first gold contract. For how much? In December. uh, Well, it was $100 an ounce. When? And that was in 1974. Okay, we're more like $1,500 an ounce today. Exactly. Can and I ask you about a troy ounce? You know, they always say uh, gold is trading at such and such a troy ounce. What is it an ounce or is it not an ounce? And it's where does an the ounce. term troy come well, from? Well, troy comes from uh, in in England, for example. It's troy ounces, uh, but for the most part, the ounce of gold and uh, a triple nine purity is what makes it bullion, and that's what makes it really. Uh, an alternative to cash. What's triple nine mean? Triple nine is uh, the quality, quantity of an ounce or a bar of gold. Okay, so none of this 12-carat nonsense. Well, uh, carats are mostly for the jewelry trade. Right. 12 carats, 14 carats. Actually, um, uh, a 14 carat uh, is probably uh, more pliable than mm-hmm. a 12 carat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jewelry industry likes carrots, and that's what the public has learned to expect to see in advertising. Now, George, tell me about your knowledge in gold and take it back to when you were in Hungary. You were born in London, but shortly thereafter, your parents took you back to Hungary, yes. 1937. I guess they didn't see uh, the, the storm clouds forming over Nazi and Germany and Austria. Well, um, my father thought that maybe the Germans would not come to Hungary. Why? Uh, I'll never know. Mm-hmm. He did leave Hungary before the Germans marched in and wound up in Portugal. He was a banker mm-hmm. uh, in Portugal. In fact, he was also a banker for uh, uh, the, the uh, head of the Portuguese government at one time named Salazar. And... Uh, he had uh, his bank in Rua de Oro, which was uh, the ru- the street of gold in Lisbon. And so I, uh, uh, my mother and I and my sister um, were able to make it out of Hungary. Actually, the Jesuits hid me for two years. Where? In Hungary. Where? In Budapest. Budapest. Again. In in a basement? I mean, what I was that? in a basement uh, for quite some time, but I was in a Jesuit home uh, for boys. And Did you ever wonder why? Why us? Why are we hiding? Uh, actually, I was very young. I was four or five years old, mm-hmm. and I didn't think I wondered much, except, of course, I heard noises, heard the bombs. Uh, we went to shelters. We were in shelters. Um, and my mother at uh, one point was a hostage by the Germans, and my father was able to uh, send funds to Germany to keep her alive oh my from Portugal. And then, of course, in 1945, we had the liberation, and we came out. 
And uh, we wound up in Portugal. Eventually, I even went to Cuba with my mother. How many languages do you speak? I speak five. Which ones? Besides uh, Hungarian, I would imagine. Spanish, yeah. Portuguese, German, um, Hungarian, of course, and some English. You speak English with, I don't know what our listeners are thinking, but zero accent. Well, I think I'm lucky I don't have an accent speaking Spanish. I don't have much of an accent speaking German. And I probably don't have an accent speaking <laughs> Hungarian. <laughs> you could be a great spy. Well, I, I never thought about it. Well, I don't let the CIA know about you. They would love somebody like you. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I was a captain in the New York City Auxiliary Police for 32 years. I retired. Bless your heart. And I did that. And I think that was a part of me giving back. Part of the focus, in fact, the most sort of intense focus that we do here on Everyone Talks to Liz is we talk about the climb and what you overcame. Now, we already see what you overcame in your very early years, but I want to hear about when you get to America, you're going to college, and your first job in the industry once you are out. Well, my first job in the industry was with a very old brokerage firm called Goodbody and Company, and I was a clerk on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And eventually, I was a clerk on some other exchanges. Was it hard to land those and, jobs? Um, at that time, I think it was uh, interesting that I was being paid $44 a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I um, enjoyed being a clerk. And uh, I enjoyed uh, the exchanges. And in fact, uh, I did save and save and scrimp so that I could buy my first seat on an exchange. How much was it and which exchange? It was $2,500. And it was the international commercial exchange that traded currencies that didn't really do much business at uh, Lower Broadway. Is it actually a seat? Is it a throne? What People wonder, oh, a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. A seat is a membership. And it is uh, seats uh, have privileges of uh, being able to solicit business, charge a commission, and uh, other activities such as making markets or executing orders. And they still, they actually uh, rise and fall in value, just like yes, stocks. Yes, they do. Um, and, and, and I can tell you that they really rise and fall <laughs> tremendously. Um, <laughs> Did you sell at a loss? Well, no, I've never sold a seat. Oh, okay. I still have uh, my memberships um, on the uh, ICE, which is the old coffee sugar uh, cotton exchange. I have my memberships on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm still on the board of the COMEX, which is um, uh, CME's uh, Group's Metals Exchange. And I'm on the board of uh, the Commodity Exchange, COMEX. Um, I have been on the NYMEX board for 30-some-odd years. Okay. I mean, this is a resume that's like 38 pages long. Exactly. George, I'm sorry. I don't mean to bounce around, but I want to go back to the languages because as you are articulating all of this and you're on the floor of the exchange as a young man, what is it about your brain that you were able to switch languages so easily and and no terminology? is there a trick to learning a language that you found? I think that the best way to learn a language is to be immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And if you live where the language is spoken, you're more than likely 
to become fluent, conversant, and uh, the ability to maintain uh, yourself in those countries is important. And to me, one of the more important languages today has been Spanish because wherever I go, there's somebody that I'm able to speak to uh, in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, yo puedo hacer todo en español. And um, it's, it's really interesting because um, I do go to uh, various countries at times, and I always find somebody who's able to speak a language other than just English that I can converse with. That's just brilliant. I can remember going to Russia, Moscow, to do a story, and very few people at the time, and this was, I don't know, 2005, spoke any English. The Russians weren't interested in speaking English. And I found a Russian who spoke some French, and I speak French. We just needed to directions to Red Square, you know. Exactly. Carré Rouge is how you say Red Square. Yes. And thank goodness, because my producer and my cameraman were, we were, I mean, no signs in English in Russia. This is Moscow. It's very hard to get around if you don't even have any knowledge of any language. So I get it. I think that's fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your first big promotion and how you landed it, and were you turned down many times? Did you find you came up against walls, and how did you overcome them professionally? Well, my first big promotion was going to be as a sales uh, rep at uh, Good Body and Company, which at that time was a very large brokerage firm with almost 80 offices that eventually became Merrill Lynch, and I flunked the aptitude test to be a salesman. I didn't have the personality for it. <laughs> So I became um, a helper in the research department, which was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned about 2,400 different stocks. And I ran uh, the slips from the branch offices that came in to the main office to the various analysts to get answers to questions about securities and the different securities and different dividends. So I learned an awful lot, and that was very helpful in the long run. Folks who are listening, there is always an upside. There's a silver lining in everything. Is that how you've looked at your life? Because, yes, you failed in the effort that you wanted to go for, and yet what ended up happening was the appropriate and better path for you. Well, I was just lucky. And Napoleon always said, give me the lucky generals, not the bright ones. (laughs) And, and okay, I, I'm going to argue with you about luck. I think it's luck plus your ability to focus and your, your optimism and the aura you give off. I know I'm sounding very California, but um, you know, how have you kept your attitude and your optimism through difficult times? I think just through having rose-colored glasses for the most part, I always try to look for the good rather than the bad because looking for the bad, does not uh, produce any results um, that are helpful in the long run. Looking for the good does produce results, and you eventually find a way of just getting past um, a terrible situation. I I had a situation not long ago. I had some surgery. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, I looked at the bright side of things, and uh, it helped me get through rehab very quickly. 
I get for personal things, but let me push you a little bit on this. Aren't the smartest people those who anticipate the worst and prepare for it so that they're ready for it? Yes and no. I think that probably um, looking uh, for the negative brings more negatives. And looking for the positive does bring more positive. So if you look for the positive and you try to think, how can I manage this so I come out ahead as a positive, rather than saying, oh, I give up, it's a negative. George, talk to people who are just entering either the workforce or deciding to switch their profession. There are a lot of people who were unemployed during the financial crisis, adults who are still realizing maybe I do need a job. You know, my heart really squeezed when a friend of mine was in a deli waiting and it was late at night and he saw an elderly man come in and ask for a job application. You know, people do still need to work well into their golden years or silver years, so to speak. What's your advice? I think the most important thing is to learn as much as you can about the opportunity that may present itself. Look for the details. Very important to find the details that other people don't find because those details can help you land your job. Did you do that back when you were uh, young and searching? And I, I say this because, folks, it's easy now. We have the Google machine. We have Bing. We have Safari. It, it always amazes me when people come in for job interviews. They should know backwards and forwards the business and, exactly. and, and say, I know your business. Don't wait to be asked the questions. Exactly. The most important thing, details. Look for the details that other people may not find. Gold, and I want to go back to the coins that saved your family and your life, escaping from the Nazis. Yes. What would you say today about people who might think, because we saw Charlottesville, um, you know, where they were marching with the Nazi flags at University of Virginia, people are worried about tyranny raising its head, whether in this country or somewhere else, it's very worrisome. I think what's even more worrisome is the possibility uh, of inflation, the possibility uh, of uh, uh, global um, pullbacks in economies, because those are the things that lose opportunities and jobs. Mm. And I know when you talk about gold, everybody says, well, allocate a corner of your portfolio to the precious metal. What's appropriate? And I know everybody has different time horizons. Well, appropriate is up to each individual Mm -hmm. and each individual portfolio. I can't comment on that Mm -hmm. uh, because I think uh, uh, that is the business of investment advisors who particularly follow um, portfolios. Well, so should I turn my five gold coins, we each got five from my dad, should I turn one of them into a necklace or hold it as gold? Hold it as gold. Oh, busted. My sister turned hers into a necklace. Well, that's okay because (laughs) you can reclaim it. George, it's so great to see you. And as we finish, I want to test you and ask you a question. Everybody always says that it was Shakespeare who said, all that glitters is not gold. Shakespeare 
did say something similar, but do you know how he really wrote it and everybody misquotes it? No. He wrote, all that glisters is not gold. Very, not glitters, everyone. Glisters. All that glisters That's is not gold. That's very interesting. And as I said before, gold is a misunderstood investment by most people. But you were able to make such a great career of trading gold, advising on gold. Look, you traded that first contract for, well, you know, such a, a tiny amount compared to what we see today. Um, is it fair to say, though, and I hear people say this, is there a finite amount of gold on planet We're Earth? We're not sure. And we don't know because uh, the mining industry does continue to find um, eventually there will be more findings and there'll be more mines. But I think uh, for the most part, um, there is a, a certain amount of gold that is traded that is thought of as a haven uh, and, and is thought of as uh, bullion and is traded as uh, uh, a part of a portfolio. I would be remiss if I didn't ask about its cousin, Silver, and I've always felt that silver was poor quite, man's gold, poor, but, but quite valuable because it at least has this massive industrial use. It does have its industrial use, and uh, I think that uh, uh, as time goes by, we see more and more uses. So, could you also call um, silver the redheaded stepchild of gold? <laughs> Me I, I being think a redhead, a lot of a lot of people think that silver is. A companion to gold, but then you do have other metals that are interesting. Platinum and palladium, for example. And palladium, for our viewers who don't know what that is, no, it is not a disco in Los Angeles from the 70s. It is the metal that helps catalytic converters convert. So it has a huge auto component to it. It does, and also has a component in the energy industry because um, the catalyst is used to what we call crack crude oil into heating oil and gasoline. Mm -hmm. Converting it. Yes, exactly. And one last thing about uh, prices. You know, platinum is often more expensive than gold, correct? Uh, often, yes. And palladium sometimes, has it ever been more expensive than platinum? Um, ever? I can't recall. Mm -hmm. But it's up there, right? It's up there. They're all up there. It's amazing. Well, and then copper, we should let our viewers know because we always like to enlighten people. Copper is well, very Dr. much an industrial. Dr. Copper is mostly industrial. Why do they call it Dr. Copper? Because it seems to uh, be a leader in economic thought. Yes, because folks, when the price of copper rises, it means a, a more strong economy because it's used in construction. Used in automobiles and mm -hmm. wiring and houses and so forth. So and when the economy crumbles... Copper prices often go down, too. Yes, they do. Oh, see, it's like a little lesson here. George, I've known you for, what, 15 years? At least. At least 15 years. Thank you so much for telling what is such an inspirational and aspirational story. And thank you very much for having me. George Giro is at RBC. He is a managing director. He is a quality golden person. And knows everything about gold. Thank you so much for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. And by the way, you get golden opportunities to make, grow, and protect your money Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Claim and Countdown. So I hope you spread the word and I order you to watch me. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. 
This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 